Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 17, verses 1 to 13, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. But they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. These verses contain one of the most remarkable events in our Lord's earthly ministry, the event commonly called the Transfiguration. The order in which it is recorded is beautiful and instructive. The latter part of the last chapter shows us the cross. Here we are graciously allowed to see something of the coming reward. The hearts which have just been saddened by a plain statement of Christ's suffering, are at once gladdened by a vision of Christ's glory. Let us mark this. We often lose much not by tracing the connection between chapter and chapter in the Word of God. There are some mysterious things, no doubt, in the vision here described. It needs to be so. We are yet in the body. Our senses are conversant with physical and material things. Our ideas and perceptions about glorified bodies and dead saints must necessarily be vague and imperfect. Let us content ourselves with endeavoring to mark out the practical lessons which the Transfiguration is meant to teach us. In the first place, we have in these verses a striking pattern of the glory in which Christ and his people will appear when he comes the second time. 
there could be little question that this was one main object of this wonderful vision. It was meant to encourage the disciples by giving them a glimpse of good things yet to come. That face shining as the sun and that clothing white as the light were intended to give the disciples some idea of the majesty in which Jesus will appear to the world when he comes in the second time and all his saints with him. The corner of the veil was lifted up to show them their master's true dignity. They were taught that if he did not yet appear to the world in the semblance of a king, it was only because the time for putting on royal apparel was not yet come. It is impossible to draw any other conclusion from Peter's language when writing on the subject. He says, with distinct reference to his transfiguration, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 2 Peter 1 verse 16 It is good for us to have the coming glory of Christ and his people deeply impressed on our minds. We are sadly apt to forget it. There are few visible indications of it in the world. We do not yet see all things put under our Lord's feet. Sin, unbelief, and superstition abound. Thousands are practically saying, We will not have this man reign over us. It does not yet appear what his people shall be. Their crosses, their tribulations, their weaknesses, their conflicts are all manifest enough, but there are few signs of their future reward. Let us beware of giving way to doubts in this matter. Let us silence such doubts by reading over the history of the transfiguration. There is laid up for Jesus and all that believe on him such glory as the heart of man never conceived. It is not only promised, but part of it has actually been seen by three competent witnesses. One of them says, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. John 1 verse 14 Surely that which has been seen may well be believed. In the second place, we have in these verses an unanswerable proof of the resurrection of the body and the life after death. We are told that Moses and Elijah appeared visibly in glory with Christ. They were seen in a bodily form. They were heard talking with our Lord. 1,480 years had rolled around since Moses died and was buried. More than 900 years had passed away since Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Yet here they are seen alive by Peter, James, and John. Let us lay firm hold on this part of the vision. It deserves close attention. We must all feel, if we ever think at all, that the state of the dead is an amazing and mysterious subject. One after another we bury them out of our sight. We lay them in their narrow beds and see them no more, and their bodies become dust. But will they really live again? Shall we really see them again? Will the grave really give back the dead on the last day? 
These are questions that will occasionally come across the minds of some in spite of the plainest statements in the word of God. Now we have in the transfiguration the clearest evidence that the dead will rise again. We find two men appearing on earth in their bodies who had long been separate from the land of the living, and in them we have a pledge of the resurrection of all. All that have ever lived upon earth will again be called to life and render up their account. Not one will be found missing. There is no such thing as annihilation. All that have ever fallen asleep in Christ will be found in safe keeping. Patriarchs, prophets, apostles, martyrs, down to the humblest servant of God in our own day. Though unseen to us, they all live to God. He is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Luke twenty thirty eight. Their spirits live as surely as we live ourselves, and we appear hereafter in glorified bodies as surely as Moses and Elijah on the mount. These are indeed solemn thoughts. There is a resurrection, and men like Felix may well tremble. There is a resurrection, and men like Paul may well rejoice. In the last place, we have in these verses a remarkable testimony to Christ's infinite superiority over all mankind. This is the point which is brought out strongly by the voice from heaven which the disciples heard. Peter, bewildered by the heavenly vision and not knowing what to say, proposed to build three tabernacles, one for Christ, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He seemed, in fact, to draw the lawgiver and the prophet side by side with his divine master, as if all three were equal. At once, we are told, the proposal was rebuked in a marked manner. A cloud covered Moses and Elijah, and they were no more seen. A voice at the same time came forth from the cloud, repeating the solemn words made use of at our Lord's baptism. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That voice was meant to teach Peter that there was one there far greater than Moses or Elijah. Moses was a faithful servant of God. Elijah was a bold witness for the truth. But Christ was far above either one or the other. He was the Savior of whom law and prophets were continually pointing. He was the true prophet whom all were commanded to hear. Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. Moses and Elijah were great men of their day, but Peter and his companions were to remember that in nature, dignity, and office, they were far below Christ. He was the true Son, They were the planets depending daily on his light. He was the root. They were the branches. He was the master. They were the servants. Their goodness was all derived. His was original and his own. Let them honor Moses and the prophets as holy men. 
But if they would be saved, they must take Christ alone for their master and glory only in him. Listen to him. Let us see in these words a striking lesson to the whole church of Christ. There is a constant tendency in human nature to hear man. Bishops, priests, deacons, popes, cardinals, councils, Presbyterian preachers, and independent ministers are continually exalted to a place which God never intended them to fill and made practically to usurp the honor of Christ. Against this tendency, let us all watch and be on our guard. Let these solemn words of the vision ever ring in our ears. Listen to Christ. The best of men are only men at their very best. Patriarchs, prophets, and apostles, martyrs, church fathers, reformers, Puritans, all, all are sinners who need a Savior. They may be holy, useful, honorable in their place, but sinners after all. They must never be allowed to stand between us and Christ. He alone is the Son in whom the Father is well pleased. He alone is sealed and appointed to give the bread of life. He alone has the keys in his hands. God over all, blessed forever. Let us take heed that we hear his voice and follow him. Let us value all religious teaching just in proportion as it leads us to Jesus. The sum and substance of saving religion is to listen to Christ. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. Thank you.